Hello, and welcome to Cover Your Eyes podcast. Today we're talking about the movie Basic Instinct with Sharon Stone, Michael Douglas from 1992. I'm Sarah Devereaux, and with me as always is my friend and co-host, Holly Oliver. How are you, Holly? <laughs> oh, I'm doing very well, Sarah. I'm very excited about this movie, Basic Good. Instinct. Tell me, tell me about it. Just start. Go right Do you remember it. that my mom bought us tickets for this movie at the movie That's theater? Shocking. And we watched this at the movie theater. I do remember us watching it at the movie theater for sure. Same movie theater. We watched every movie that we're talking about. A little <laughs> two screen, tiny movie theater that was like $1.25. And our moms mm-hmm. would drop us off. And then after the movie, we'd go to the payphone by Wendy's and call them to come pick us up. Yes, and get a Frosty. <laughs> and get a Frosty and fries. <laughs> exactly. days, man. Oh, my God. <laughs> after eating, like, popcorn and candy inside. Yeah. <laughs> frosty and fries afterwards. <laughs> yeah, I remember. I feel like I can't believe it. And then especially as I watched mm-hmm. it last night, I was like, how did we see this movie? Like your mom, who would not let us watch MTV. How did we end up seeing Basic Instinct? Well, I was like, I want to see this movie mm-hmm. really bad. And she was like, okay, I'll buy you guys tickets. Wow. <laughs> okay. But like at that point, didn't everyone already know like about the scene or was that not out yet? No, I feel like everybody knew that this movie was a scandal. It was. Okay. So why did we want to see this as like 10 or 12 or whatever year old girls? Like what's the job? I feel like the draw was that it, in the trailer, it was very obvious that Sharon Stone her character was going to be really powerful Mm -hmm. and that intrigued me. I remember being drawn to Sharon Stone. So whenever I saw the trailer, I was like, I want to see her in this movie. Mm -hmm. So that's what drew me to the movie, I think. Yeah. And I've always loved Sharon Stone. Mm -hmm. I think that she makes this movie of course i i don't know if this movie would be any good or if anyone would even remember it if it wasn't for sharon stone's performance i think you're right i concur i just she kind of like drew you in and it's like there's this like beautiful woman who is running the show basically you can tell that like people are just kind of wrapped around her finger but she's very laid back about it and she may be a murderer like a beautiful intriguing murderer Mm -hmm. so i mean who wouldn't be interested in that like women embraced this movie as like a new vision of power Mm -hmm. which i find to be interesting because catherine Sharon Stone in the movie. Catherine is um, a novelist 
and she's a psychologist. That's right. She's also very wealthy. She's got money. She's got beauty. And she's got brains. And when she walks into a room, it's like, maybe you don't like her, but you're going to pay attention to her. She's got like massive queen energy. (laughs) And I guess that appealed to me because most women in most movies that we would see were submissive in some way or eventually became submissive Mm -hmm. through the manipulation of the man in the movie. And this reversed it, the dynamic. Yeah, he pretty much became submissive to her like immediately. (laughs) The movie starts with boobs and Mm -hmm. stabbing. But here we go. So we see boobs. There's a sex scene. Mm -hmm. There's sexual violence. But for the first time, we're seeing a man's flaccid penis after he's stabbed to death. So it's really one of the first times that we're seeing a man being punished for his sexual appetites. Because usually it's women being punished in movies for her sexual appetites. Yeah. Also flaccid penis. I know. Flaccid. Which is like, really sets you up for what you're getting in this movie, which is... Men think that they're getting a hard-on when Catherine walks in the room, but what they don't understand is that they've already been castrated by her. Ouch. But we don't see the stabber's face. We don't see who is the murderer. Boobs, butt, and blonde hair, which is what Mm -hmm. everyone wants to see. So no one cares about anything else. Johnny Boz was his name. He was tied to a bed with an Hermes scarf, mm. which the detective pronounced Hermes. <laughs> Thought that was a nice touch. It is nice. I can I just tell you oh, that yeah. I haven't seen this since we saw it in the theater. I knew it was like racy. Okay, so I remember obviously like the police station scene that everyone knows, the no underwear scene. And then I remember him like spying on her while she was getting dressed while she was completely naked. Yeah. Which is like, we'll talk about that later. But I did <laughs> not remember anything else really. I did not remember how graphic in the sex scenes were. And I was just like, oh my word. I was just. I don't remember how we responded to this at the time in the theater, but I was just like, I can't believe we saw this in the theater and like our mom drove us, your mom drove us. I was into it at the time. I'm sure I was too. I was like, no, I wasn't like into Michael Douglas, but I was into (laughs) the idea. You were into Johnny Boz. I remember you being (laughs) like, Boz is so hot, even with his flaccid penis. (laughs) Yeah, that's me. <laughs> I'm I'm about the boss. <laughs> Sex is aggressive. Uh yeah. 
I thought she was going to find it to a pulp. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And like, <laughs> her head movements, I'm like, I'm sorry. <laughs> Has any woman ever moved their head that much? <laughs> during sex? And it's like she's doing like a Richard Simmons, like, workout, <laughs> cool down, like, and rotate right. And <laughs> or like headbanging at the same time. And it's like to make it more dramatic and so that her hair is always in her face so that we can't see it. But it's like, that was like a little bit of overkill. I mean, there's a lot of overkill in this movie. It's true. On multiple levels. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> some some involving an ice pick mm-hmm. and some just involving the general acting and dialogue quality. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um. So Boz is dead. We get a fat joke. Oh. Yeah. So Gus, the portly detective who is Nick's. I like Gus. Okay. I like him. He was on the first two seasons of Law and Order. Oh. As a detective. And he was, he's always been my favorite Law and Order detective of all time. Even though he's only on the first two seasons. And he got murdered in that, too. Oh, jeez. Spoiler for everybody. (laughs) For that show that's like 40 years old or something. (laughs) (laughs) Um, They're looking at the body, Boz's body. They're in in the room. And somebody says, maybe it was the maid that did it. Mm -hmm. And then Gus is like, She's 240 pounds, and there's no bruising. (laughs) Ha, ha, ha. Yeah. He's like, it ain't the maid. Well, I mean, I guess Gus is just, like, projecting because he's portly, and he's probably bruised a few women in his day, maybe. And also later in the movie, Gus is drunk and in his cowboy hat, and he's like, I can't get laid. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Except so I think you're players. right. Did you hear the woman go, don't knock it till you try it? Yeah, that was funny. <laughs> this is like bad, but good. It kept me glued to, even though I knew the whole, I remember the whole plot. I've probably seen this movie like three times. Okay. And watched it, you know, probably the last time I watched it was in my 20s. So the detectives realize that Boz, the victim, has a girlfriend, Catherine Wolf. A a wolf in sheep's clothing. Mm. Now, what's interesting is that her last name is Wolf. And throughout the movie, her public confessions that are masquerading as fictions it's like a wolf in sheep's clothing, but she's already telling you she's a wolf. Mm-hmm. She's always telling you who she is. Mm-hmm. And I find that to be true of people that ha- I've that I've known that were extremely narcissistic or psychopathic, that they will always tell you up front who they are, but the way that they say it, a lot of times they'll say it like it's about somebody else. Uh, or they'll, or they'll say it like they're joking. 
or it's sarcastic, like sarcastic in the sense of, do you really think I'm that dumb? So I thought that was an interesting choice. I was like, I wonder if that was on purpose, her last name choice. I'm going to go out on a limb and say yes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) So we go to Catherine's home and we meet Roxy. Roxy. Who's Roxy? Roxy's like, oh, Catherine, she's at the beach house. So we're like, oh, Roxy must be her assistant. Because gay people aren't aren't a thing in 1992. (laughs) She was her sex assistant. I could tell immediately. Oh, when first came down the stairs, I was like, is that, it looked like Sharon Stone, like from far away. I think they yeah, right? And then. Oh, totally. Okay. Yeah. And I'm like, wow, she's like dating herself, like having sex with herself. Exactly. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, if you're Sharon Stone, why wouldn't you? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, that was racy, too, for 1992. Like, this movie was just, like, breaking boundaries left and right. My favorite quote's coming up. Okay. Nick and Gus, they go to uh, the beach house, because that's where Catherine's at now. And they tell her about her boyfriend being murdered with an ice pick mm-hmm. and they casually say oh yes Catherine you know you were dating you were dating him da 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 and she says I wasn't dating him I was fucking him <laughs> nobody knows what to do with a woman who has that attitude. And the thing is, usually what happens with women who have that attitude is that every guy who thought they had that attitude gets obsessed with the woman who actually has that attitude. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's, That's been my experience. <laughs> um, what experience? Personal experience? I'm not going to talk about college. <laughs> okay. So another movie that later kind of came to fruition in your life. The heroines got deep into your blood and manifested at later times. Yes. Although I've never been good with an ice pick. Just to <laughs> clarify. That's good. Just like the fun parts, not the murdery part. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the fun, powerful parts. Just the fun parts. <laughs> so then Nick says, are you sorry he's dead? And Catherine says, yeah, I liked fucking him. <laughs> <laughs> he is not backing down. She is not no. letting. <laughs> I feel like that exchange says everything you need to know. <laughs> It is just, like, so brazen for the time, especially, like, what? This woman is unapologetically saying she's just sleeping with someone because it's bringing her pleasure and that's it? Yes. The audacity. Now Nick is with Beth, Dr. Beth, who mm-hmm. is his ex-lover and also his um, internal affairs requiring him to go see a shrink because he likes to shoot people yes he's one of those guys Mm -hmm. he shoots first and asks questions later 
<laughs> that's our that's our neck here. Mm. And he is entitled. Mm. Like this is where because see, like at the beginning, I was like, I thought Nick was pretty like I was on board with him. And I was like, ah, oh, you know, he seems like he's he's figuring her out pretty quickly. Like he has her number almost immediately. Mm-hmm. Catherine's number almost immediately. He's got it's like he just figures it out instantly. But then you realize that he's that might be true. But the other thing that's true is that he's an entitled, spoiled brat who thinks that he should be able to get away with whatever he wants because he thinks so. And it's like he has her figured out so quickly because she's so much like him. Exactly. So really, they're both fucking themselves. Exactly. She's doing like a threesome with herself, with Roxy and him. (laughs) This is just like a movie about what happens when everyone around you is a narcissist. I know. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. (laughs) They're in San Francisco. And he had shot two tourists, we find out. And so he was like on leave for a while and he had to undergo all this counseling. And then we find out that he had like a drinking problem and also a drug problem at the time. And he has to be off of drugs and alcohol and like cleared by the psychologist who he's sleeping with, which is like clear boundary violation. Also, it's implied that he's sleeping with he was sleeping with her to get a good recommendation so he could be clear on the job Mm -hmm. so he's a user oh yeah yeah so that's happening so that's wrong and then um we find out also that like he had also killed a couple other people later Catherine's like five people in two years or something like that like Mm -hmm. sorry everybody is calling him shooter and he says hey they were all drug deals gone wrong. Mm-hmm. Okay, dude, you're on coke <laughs> and you're justifying murdering people who are trying to buy coke. It was probably while he was getting his own coke. Totally. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's how he knew like where it was happening. Yeah. Or, yeah. like, he didn't have money that day to pay for the coke. <laughs> and so he, just like, staged the scene. I mean. Yeah. I past shooter at this point. No. So he was, like, reforming himself and, like, uh, I've got, I've been spent three months since I had a drink. And, like, I'm ready to go back. Just let me back on. And I don't need to do this therapy anymore. And then it's, like, then he goes to see. Um, Sharon Stone or Catherine afterwards and it's like she gets in his head immediately and she's like do you want a cigarette because she like knows that he smoked before and he's like I don't smoke I quit and she's like it won't last and then like pretty much immediately he starts smoking again and then he goes for a drink like that night after meeting her it's like she says while they're in the car like they're taking her to do her um questioning about the murder of Johnny Buzz and then she's like um my next book is about a detective and he meets the wrong woman and she kills him or something like he gets tangled up with the wrong woman that night she 
he starts drinking again. He's smoking. It's like he's already immediately going off the rails the first day after meeting her. Downward spiral is starting. I don't I have a lot of questions. I feel like it leaves some questions. Yes, like what? Okay. So then when they go to Okay, they saw her the first day when she was like, I like fucking him, blah, blah, blah. And then she's like, you know, either arrest me or leave me alone. And they're like, right. we can't arrest her, so we just leave. Then they come back the next day and they're like, would you just come downtown with us and answer some questions? And she agrees to. And then she already has like all these newspaper articles about him laid out. And it's like, did she order that? Like back order it immediately? Or did she already have this? Like what's going on? Because she knew all about his shooting and all of that. So I don't know. I think she had been planning this little game with Nick for mm-hmm. a while because this is how she researches her books. Mm-hmm. She finds somebody, she stalks them, she learns a bunch of stuff about their personal lives. Like a predator, she learns their habits and then she creates scenarios for them to react to. And then she reports, she writes all of those reactions down and boom, she's got a new novel. (laughs) Yeah. She's just like a puppet master. She's a chess master. So they drag Catherine in for this interrogation and she's like i don't need a lawyer and everybody looks at nick because nick had said earlier oh no she won't she won't get a lawyer she's gonna come in by herself and he was right she's lights a cigarette they tell her no smoking and she says what are you gonna do charge me with smoking (laughs) i actually laughed out loud at that (laughs) me too her (laughs) delivery on that was Primo. <laughs> I know. Like, really, what are you gonna do? And in that moment, it's like yeah. you, you know that she's a chess master, and everybody else in that room is in sixth grade, and they just learned how to play. There isn't anyone in that room that is actually focused on the case in that moment. Ah. Uh. Everybody's just like, what's happening right now? Mm-hmm. How did this woman come in here and take charge of everything? I know. It's so amazing. It really is riveting. She just draws you in. You know, she's a she's the destructive force of femininity that men are so terrified of. In women, what they're afraid that women are really like. And if we don't keep controlling women, they will all be like Catherine. Without men reining women in, they are power wielding monsters (laughs) that make my dick shrivel (laughs) because they remind me of my mommy. Oh, no. Giving me discipline. (laughs) Huh. You might be onto something. I mean, the mother who eats its own. She definitely is in control. She has nothing to fear. And I think having like 
um, extreme beauty and extreme wealth gives you that luxury <laughs> of being like, meh, what's going to happen to me really? <laughs> I can pretty much buy my way out of any situation all <laughs> under her thumb, you know? She's also a genius who's able to think like 20 steps ahead mm-hmm. of everyone else. She's so far ahead that people who are in her game don't even know that they're playing a game. She surrounds herself with people who kill. We've got Shooter. Mm -hmm. We've got Hazel, the woman who went mad one day and killed her whole family and then was like, I don't know why I did it. And then Mm -hmm. we've got Roxy, who we find out brutally murdered her two little brothers when she was 16 by slitting their throats yeah and they showed the pictures of the crime scene they just pop in these pictures of little boys all bloodied and it's like we forget how stuff was not graphic like that and now like that's nothing i mean they show that on like tv shows it's true (laughs) There are like multiple pictures. They're like, look at this one of how slit his throat is. Yeah, <laughs> right. It's really slit. Take another look from this angle, and it's like, okay, he's a little, he's a little boy. His <laughs> little boy with his head almost cut off by his sister. We get it. <laughs> yeah, there was like so much graphic material in this movie. I'm like, this is how is this rated R? This oh, like. NC-17 was, like, out then, right? No, it like got an NC-17 rating. It did? Yeah. Nana bought us tickets? Yes. Holy cow. Wow. Okay, I that mean, explains more because I'm like, how can this be R? I don't understand. This is yeah. Going, like, so far beyond anything. <laughs> it's like, on HBO or Skinamax levels, even. <laughs> Whoa. So, it's, like, murder mystery, whodunit, did she do it? The murder happens exactly the way the murder in her book is described. And then so they're like, she did it. It's just like her book. And then they're like, she's just going to use that as an alibi because she'll say, would I be so stupid as to kill him exactly the way it was in my book? Mm-hmm. And then of course the psychologist is like the one that says like, she's going to use it as an alibi, blah, blah, blah. And then mm-hmm. it's, like, it's true. It would be the perfect alibi. Yeah. Be so stupid, but then is that genius? She writes a book, and then a little while later, somebody dies in a similar scenario to the way she wrote the book. Mm. So it's not just this one book. Mm-hmm. And then we find out that her parents died um, in a boating accident where, like, the gas line blew or something weird. And then her fiance died, but that was in like a boxing accident. So there's no way that she did that. No. Or did she? <laughs> <laughs> did she give him like a bunch of blood thinners before the match? Oh, no, no. right. She might have slipped something in his drink. Yeah, that's a good point. We don't know. And then who else died? One of her professors or like her counselor from college died and he was killed with an ice pick yes and she says that's what inspired her to make the ice pick the weapon in her book and then she tells nick she just casually mentions that this she slept with this girl once in college and 
the girl became obsessed with her and started single white femaleing her. Nick's like, hmm, wonder who that is. So he goes to find out and realizes that it's his old buddy, Dr. Beth. She just changed her name. Oh, my God. Yeah, because Beth, like, at first didn't say she knew her at all. But then she's like, oh, I knew her. I met her in college. And he's like, oh, well, how come you never mentioned it? And then she's like, I didn't really know her. I just. And then later she says, like, oh, she did some things that gave me the creeps. I don't know why they just gave me the creeps. And then. um, Can we just talk about. While we're talking about Dr. Garner. Mm-hmm. Or Elizabeth or whatever her name is, the psychologist. Mm-hmm. The scene is so disturbing to me. So it's like the first night after Nick meets or like Carol does her questioning and everyone sees her upper dress and everyone's just like thrown off guard by her. And he's like obviously hot and bothered and she's all in his head. And then mm-hmm. he goes and starts drinking in that night. <clears throat> then he gets in a fight with this other cop who's like on his case all the time. The internal affairs guy is like always riding his ass just because he murdered people. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. And the internal affairs guy sees him drinking like two doubles and he's like, oh, back on the booze again. That should be good. And then he's like, stop riding me or I'm going to kick your ass. And then the psychologist comes in and she's like, what's going on here? She defends Nick. Then she and Nick leave together, and then it's obviously they're going to go have sex. They get back to her apartment, and it's like the most uncomfortable sex scene I've ever seen in my life, and it basically turns into like rape light. It's so horrible. It's like they get back there. They've had sex before, but it's been like a while, and they're not doing it regularly, really, it seems Mm -hmm. like. No, they're kind of broken up. Yeah, they're kind of broken up. But then they're like, you know, united by their hate of this other cop and they're all turned on from the anger they get inside and they're just standing there and he just like suddenly grabs her and slams her against the wall and it's like super violent and weird and she's like okay and then they're just like kissing and he's like (laughs) like eating her face it's just like so violent and just like aggressive and uncomfortable and then he like rips her blouse open all in one move it's like he's putting on a show or something it's just so and all the buttons go flying off and then he like grabs her and like slams her backwards up against his other wall to where he's behind her kissing her like super aggressively and then he bends her over the couch or chair and she's like nick no and he's basically like forcing her like really aggressively to like have sex from behind i'm assuming he's not forcing her to have anal but i think he's just like forcefully having sex with her from behind and she like doesn't want to do it like it's hurting her at first and then she just goes along with it and then they they show them like laying on the floor afterwards and she has this like uncomfortable look on her face and she's like what happened today blah blah blah. she can tell that like that was not normal and she's like you've never been like that before and then she's like you weren't making love to me like you're obviously thinking about Catherine, and it's really like a terrible scene i feel so bad for her it's an awful feeling for her. She's getting hate fucked. Yeah. She's being used as an object, uh, like a replacement object for the woman he wants to hate fuck. Yeah. Classy, Nick. It's terrible. And she knows it. She can and tell. he's a rapist. <laughs> that's that's yeah. the whole thing, though, too, is that he's actually a rapist. And that isn't really acknowledged. And like through the whole movie, 
Beth, Dr. Beth always comes back to Nick right up to the end where she's like, tells me she loved him. Mm-hmm. And it's like she caved because she had to. And then that that scenario is exactly that rape scene is exactly the kind of rape that happens when men can only get turned on by women as objects and can only see them as props mm-hmm. because they don't even see it as rape because they don't feel any connection with the thing they're pounding Mm -hmm. because that's all it is. It's a thing they're pounding into. What a sick, sad fucking place your heart has to be that you can't connect to another human being on the most fundamental human loving that you can connect with another person. And you're, you're literally physically incapable of it. So much so that you have to rape women and then act like they asked for it because they went back to your fucking house. Or they let you in their house. Mm-hmm. So, fuck Nick. I know. Which makes you root even more for Catherine. Totally. I was rooting for the psychologist at that point. <clears throat> well, yeah, obviously. Murder. Yeah. <clears throat> like, if she's the murderer, I hope she kills him. Right. (laughs) Well, at that point, she just seems like this other person. Is she going to like straighten Nick out or is he going to be corrupted by the demonic Lilith known as Catherine? Or is he going to be swayed to perfection by the angelic Dr. Beth? Mm -hmm. That's the setup. And then that gets twisted. There's a lot of twists and turns. Beth might be a stalker. She might have been stalking Catherine long-term and being the creepy person that reads her books and then stages murders like her books. Mm-hmm. Nick is going to go with, because now, as Gus puts it, Catherine's pussy fried his brain. <laughs> Because that's something that happens, a.k.a. vagina dentata. Yeah. I don't buy that Beth was the stalker. Okay. Okay, okay, okay. All right. Tell me more. Because when Nick mentions what Catherine said about how Beth had been stalking her through college and single white female her. Beth was like, Catherine did that to me. And mm-hmm. like, I go by a different name now. Like, hello. I My name was Lisa. Now I go by Beth and my ex-husband's name. Right. We find out Beth's ex-husband got shot with the same gun that shot the internal affairs guy that nick had been fighting with because he turns up dead too right and like it, the, the same gun was nick used. gets in a big fight with him at the station yeah and so that really makes it look like beth did it mm-hmm. when they find out about the 38 that killed her husband and then also that 
Beth had a girlfriend a year and a half ago. Oh, I forgot that part. Yeah. So Beth isn't, isn't fully like she, like Beth said, Oh, I only did it that one time. Actually, you know, I guess I thought that Beth and Catherine were in this together. Oh. And that they, they were both setting Nick up because Catherine had Nick's file or Nick's uh, psychiatric file. And Beth was like, oh, well, I did give it to the internal affairs guy. And it's like, I don't know. What do you There's think? So many things. I don't know. It's, I don't know. So, yeah, it's like at first I was thinking, oh, yeah, okay, it's Beth. And she's been obsessed with Catherine since college. And she's following her around and doing all of these things, murdering people that are close to her because she knows where she's at. And then we do find out that she did have a connection to Johnny Boz. She had met him at a Christmas party. Mm-hmm. And that Beth's husband's office was connected to Johnny Boz's psychiatrist's office before. So she did have some information there. The internal affairs guy had supposedly been investigating Beth as well because he had been to a different police station to ask about the murder of her yes. husband. And he had been to a different police station and gotten files about her and gotten like files from the Harvard police or whatever college they went to. So he'd been investigating her because he was already like suspicious of her for some reason, it seems like. Yes. So then it does make sense that she would <clears throat> murder him. But then, yeah, where did Catherine get the information about Nick, about like his wife committing suicide and things that no one else would have known except for from the file? Oh, yeah. And the the cop, the uh, internal affairs guy did have $50,000 in the safety deposit box, they said, though. So mm-hmm. it seems like Catherine did buy the information from him. Yeah, that's true. It's so much. Yeah. So maybe Beth was just like a helpless pawn. Mm-hmm. But would she murder the internal affairs guy if she was innocent see i think that catherine was the one that got obsessed with beth Mm -hmm. and that she killed beth's husband yeah and that maybe she entered back into the picture with beth as her girlfriend and beth kind of like let her back in Oh, my God. And then, and then she killed the internal affairs guy after people started realizing that she bought the files from him. Yeah. Because and then it Catherine planted the gun in Beth's apartment. Because mm-hmm. then she realized, wait, I could really get her and get away with all of this by making it look like it's Beth. And then but then when they go to Beth's apartment, there were like tons of pictures of Catherine and tons of like Catherine's books and like all the stuff that made her look like she was obsessed with Catherine over the years. And then Gus is calling around to like find out information about them in college to try to get the real story of like who was obsessed with who, Beth or Catherine. Mm-hmm. And then he gets this call that says it's one of their ex roommates. So he goes to meet her in this suite. Nick can't go in with him because Nick's off duty. 
And then it's a setup and Gus gets killed with an ice pick. It's a woman in a San Francisco police department raincoat. And Nick realizes like, oh my God, this is a setup. So he runs in and then he finds Gus like bleeding out to death. And then suddenly Elizabeth or Beth is there in her trench coat. She looks perfectly fine. No blood on her anywhere. And he's like, what are you doing here? And she was like, I got a call from Gus that told me to meet him here. Um, what are you doing here? Mm-hmm. And then she has her hand in her pocket like she's going for a gun. And Nick Shooter is like, get your hand in your pocket. And she's like, what is the matter with you? And then he shoots her. And then it turns out it was just her keys in her pocket. Bart Simpson. Bart Simpson keys. Which is like, why... Why would you put your hand in your pocket when he's telling you to take it out and he's super suspicious? Like, just take your hand out of your pocket. I know, right? And then they find bloody blonde wig and, like, bloody raincoat on the stairs. So it's like, that was her. She just threw it off and left it in the stairs and then went and killed Gus. Which I could still almost believe that Catherine set that up. Except they said that, like, they checked Beth's answering machine and there was no message from Gus, like, telling her to meet him there which she had said like Gus left me a message telling me to meet him here Mm -hmm. but maybe Catherine took that tape out of her answering machine you know why that's I'm glad you're mentioning this because perfect opportunity you kill Gus you do it in a wig and everything you leave that on the stairs then you know that Beth is going to be there any minute. So guess what? You also know Beth is not in her apartment. Mm-hmm. It's the perfect time to plant all of that evidence that makes it look like Beth is the killer and that mm-hmm. she was obsessed with Catherine. Exactly. And take the tape out or mm-hmm. erase the message. Because I think you could just erase one message at a time on the answering machines back then because they were just on a tape. Mm-hmm. Plus, maybe she erased the message herself. How do they not know that? I know. Like, just been used to erasing a message after she listened to it. These detectives are so flabbergasted that lesbians (laughs) exist that they don't know how to do, they don't know how to solve crimes anymore. That's what I get from this movie. They're like, wait, there's women out there who don't want our penises? (laughs) <laughs> I don't know how to solve crime anymore. <laughs> Just give up and go home. It's true. <laughs> also, it said everything about Nick. Right before Nick shot Beth, Gus is dead. He's bloody. He's super bloody and it's really gross. It was like it reminded me of Sean Connery's death in <laughs> The Untouchables. Like that, it was like that level of corn syrup. And yeah. Nick's really upset. Beth walks in. He goes, You still like girls, Beth? And then he shoots her. Oh my God. There's some stuff in between, right? Like warnings. No, not really. Okay, wait, 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 wait. This is something that we haven't even mentioned. A third There's person. There's a lot. Roxy. So Roxy. Roxy is 
you know, Catherine's main girlfriend, but she knows that Catherine's with guys sometimes. She watches. Catherine likes her to watch while she's with guys. But then when she's with Nick, it's like different and Roxy gets jealous. And then they have like a showdown in the bathroom and Nick calls her Rocky instead of Roxy. Yeah. (laughs) He's like being so macho with her. And it's like, you're terrible person it's so gross it's so he's so, so obviously threatened mm-hmm. and he's like strutting around naked like what's up rocky and it's like dude you're just being rude like they've been together for a long time like you're basically cheating yeah you know right in front of her and then you're being mean to her he's like he's like hey rocky man to man I think she's the fuck of the century. What do you think? It's very cringy. <laughs> it it harkens back to the idea that, you know, those gay couples, there's always got to be a man and a woman. Mm-hmm. And every gay, which one's the bride? Which one's the groom? Har, har, har. Right. It was so gross. It was so uncomfortable. He was a terrible person. And then it's, but the whole story is just like, with Nick, it's different. She's never been jealous before. Roxy's never been jealous before until Nick. And then, what? I was going to say, maybe it's because Nick is also a killer. Mm -hmm. He hates the fact that he likes to kill. And he's attracted to Catherine because she loves the fact that she likes to kill. Mm -hmm. And by embracing Catherine, he can embrace his true nature as a wolf because he's a wolf in sheep's clothing. Or he he thinks he is. He tries to be. And he Mm -hmm. tries to lie to himself to think that he's actually a good guy. But the truth of the matter is Nick has a bristophilia. That's why Catherine was the fuck of the century, because he was getting off on the fact that he was with somebody that he knew could kill him at any moment. And it was the ultimate thrill because he's already a murderer. Mm. There's very few thrills left for Nick. That's why he's an alcoholic and a cokehead, because he's empty inside. I actually find Nick to be one of the most despicable male characters in all of cinema wow that's saying something and it's it's subtle in some ways it's it's more subtle because there's also this part where it feels like the writer and director wants us to root for nick wants us to identify and sympathize with sympathize with nick as this poor man who got Pussy whipped. Oh, God. It happens. It happens to the best of us, Sarah. The pussy fried his brain. Yeah, exactly. The coke fried his brain, people. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So that night, like, after we find out that, after they have their showdown in the bathroom, and then we find out, like, jealous of Nick because he's so fucking amazing, Um, which is, like, why? Uh, What am I missing? Catherine is setting Roxy up to have a showdown with Nick Mm -hmm. because it's going to drive Nick 
to Catherine even more. And she needs to find out all of his reactions for her book. Because, you know, one of the things about psychology is that to get a degree, not now, but back in back in the 80s, um, you had to do experimental research. Mm-hmm. And what is Catherine doing? She's setting up mazes for her little mice to run around in, and then she's reporting it all in her novels. So I think that's why Roxy thinks that he's such a great fuck is because Catherine wants her to think that. Right. And also, it's quite possible that Roxy is no longer useful. And Catherine knows that if she sends Roxy to Shooter, that Shooter's not going to hesitate. Yeah, had she already written a book about Roxy's story, I wonder? So she was done with her? Mm Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah, she would just get put them against each other and one or the other would be eliminated. So, yeah, that night is when um, Nick meets up with Gus at some bar and then they go to a diner. And then that's when Gus is going off on him about the pussy frying his brain and all that stuff. And mm-hmm. you're crazy. And then Nick is walking to his car strutting to his car and then finally <laughs> someone tries to run him over and then we find out it's Roxy and she mm-hmm. drives off of her bridge and dies so then it's like hmm was Roxy the one killing all these dudes because she was like jealous of them there's so many things sure it could have been we don't know I think Catherine did all of it okay yeah I think Catherine's next book is going to be about Hazel. Yeah, was there not a book about Hazel yet? There hasn't been a book about Hazel yet. Okay, can we talk about Hazel? Who is playing Hazel? I meant to look that up. It's like this, it was basically be like, she looks like she'd be Catherine when Catherine's like 75. Like she's really pretty. She seems like very self-possessed and like with it and cool. And like, I don't know. Yeah. I want to hang out with her. Exactly. Like, I totally want to hang out with this lady. I do, too. I want to eat muffins and drink coffee. (laughs) Totally. We see, like, Catherine's at her house for, like, hours and hours and hours because he follows her and then he figures out that's who she's with and he looks up Hazel and is like, oh, she murdered her family. She was, like, a 50s housewife or something that just, like, went off one day and killed everyone. It was like, I don't know why. And then... She gets out. Catherine befriends her. So, but then at the end, it's like after um, Nick thinks everything's good and then he's going to like hang out with Catherine again at the end after um, Beth has been killed. So they think it was Beth. And then he goes to give her a hug and Catherine's like very cold. And she's like, what are you doing? Like, we're done. The book's over. The book is like printing out as they speak. And she was like, you're just a character and now your character's dead and we're done. And he was like, what the fuck? And he gets so angry. And then Hazel comes down from upstairs and is just standing in the stairway. And she's like, Catherine. And then Catherine goes to her. And Hazel puts her hand on her shoulder 
And it almost seems like they're having like a sexual relationship. She's Roxy's replacement. Oh my God. That's, that's a leap. This is all Catherine. She's mm-hmm. the best chess player in the fucking world. She's thinking I, 20 years ahead. She's not thinking next month, five years, 20, <laughs> 20 years. So you think Hazel's going to become her new sex partner? Who knows? I feel like Catherine is so liberated that she would try that. There's some kind of intimacy there, whether it's sexual or not, or whether she's cultivating a mother-daughter. Because a hand on the shoulder seems more mother-daughter to me. Yeah, but it was like implied. And then they go upstairs to where like bedrooms are. Do you know what I mean? It seems Well, that's true. Yeah. No, I mean, I my first thought was actually like, this is Roxy number two, mm-hmm. or however many there have been. It's Roxy's replacement. Hazel is Roxy's replacement. She killed mm-hmm. her family. Uh, Catherine has not written a book about that yet. She's done with the detective story. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Okay. And then like the ultimate twist. Tell it. Okay. So everybody thinks that Beth is the killer. Beth was crazy. Can you believe it, Sarah? Oops. I can. Most people who go into mental health care have mental health problems of their own. (laughs) Okay. So Nick is kind of like, he doesn't really believe that Catherine could be done with him because the sex for on his end was like so amazing. He's like, I can't believe I can't. It was so amazing. I can't believe you don't feel the same way. It was magic. And it's like, yeah, well, she's also another person who might have different feelings than you bucko. Mm-hmm. Oh, you like objects. Yeah. And then also like, I think she points out that, Like, at that point, he still wasn't 100% sure that she wasn't the killer. And then she ties him up just, like, with a white scarf, just like how the other guy was murdered. And so he's, Mm. like, getting off on the fact that she could kill him at any moment, too. Mm. They're having sex. It's a a callback to the very beginning. The scene is shot almost exactly the same way with the same kind of hair tossing and all of that. I mean, we know that it's Catherine this time around, but, and that's when you start to get the creeping feeling that it really is Catherine and not Beth as Mm -hmm. that's the murderer, because it is a callback to the scene at the beginning where a guy gets stabbed to death. And then she's reaching for something after they've had sex And Nick is, like, joking about how they could, you know, basically, like, have a life together as a couple. Can fuck like minks and have some rugrats grow old together or something like that. Yeah, exactly. Just so not Catherine. Like, come on. (laughs) Who would even want that from her? But see, that's the thing. He wants to tame the Mm -hmm. wild animal. Yep. Because he can't just be in a relationship with another human. 
And then when she's tame and taking care of their kids, he won't want her anymore. Bye. (laughs) Where's the younger you that I sucked out of you? (laughs) Literally, we saw it. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, oh, my God. (laughs) Am I watching Michael Douglas, like, go down on Sharon Stone right now? Like, graphically, it was bonkers. Also, one of the first movies where a woman gets some head. Yeah. (laughs) She does. I was like, dang, this was in theaters and I saw it. I was taken aback. My mom bought the tickets. (laughs) (laughs) All I can say is thank God she didn't come in with us. Oh, Lord. (laughs) She would have been covering both of our eyes. <laughs> <laughs> she couldn't eat any popcorn because both of her hands would be over our eyes. <laughs> Catherine says, I hate Rugrats. <laughs> She's just like, oh, my God. And then she starts to go for something on the other side of the bed. But then she hesitates. And she doesn't reach for it it pans down to under the bed and it's an ice pick i know so what are we to think it's Catherine. i think Catherine did all of it it's Catherine. i think she is the most brilliant criminal mastermind who has ever graced the screen i think you're right so then it's like she's not gonna go along with this she's gonna figure out some way to get rid of nick Eventually. I mean, she predicted it in the very beginning. And she can't do it yet anyway. Yeah. That's the other thing. Especially with an ice pick. It's like, even she's not that bold. Mm -hmm. But she wants to. I think I'm stupid enough to kill someone with an ice pick (laughs) after. (laughs) All right. About someone being killed with an ice pick and then another (laughs) person was killed with an ice pick and I was accused of murder and then another person was killed with an ice pick. Do you really think I'd be that stupid? Especially because I just wrote a book about the last guy, like I wrote about the last guy that got killed with an ice pick. <laughs> I'd never be that stupid. Oh, my God. I'm not wearing underwear. Exactly. Okay, so <laughs> Sharon Stone got tricked into the pussy shot mm-hmm. <laughs> in this movie. Uh-huh. And... Also, she loves this movie. What's his name? Joel Esterhouse? The screenplay? Mm-hmm. Person mm-hmm. wrote the screenplay? Mm-hmm. Also wrote the screenplay for Flashdance. Yes. And Showgirls. And Jagged Edge with Glenn Close, which we've watched that and Flashdance. So he's into like cool, strong women. Who made and Sliver. Oh, he did Sliver too? Mm-hmm. I didn't see it. She's in that too. Yeah, you did. We saw it together at the movie theater. Oh, shit. Yeah, with Zach. Oh, no. We went with Zach. Oh, my God. (laughs) I'm glad we didn't see Basic Instinct with Zach. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. Uh, He would have been so scared of us. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, okay. I'll have to take a look at Sliver because I don't remember it. That's not surprising. Yeah, that was another movie that I wanted to watch. It's really bad. Yeah. 
Who's the man? <laughs> Billy Baldwin. That's what I thought. Yeah. I preview of it. Okay. How can I not remember? It must be really bad if I don't remember it with Billy Baldwin because I was obsessed with him. Okay. I'll take a look at it. Now, did you see Basic Instinct 2? No. Okay. So here's what Sharon Stone said about the whole infamous pussy shot. (laughs) We shot Basic Instinct. I got called in to see it. Not on my own with the director, as one would anticipate, given the situation that has given us all pause, so to speak. But with a room full of agents and lawyers, most of whom had nothing to do with the project. That was how I saw my vagina shot for the first time. Mm -hmm. Long after I'd been told, quote, we can't see anything. I just need you to remove your panties as the white is reflecting the light. So we know you have panties on. Yes, there have been many points of view on this topic. But since I'm the one with the vagina in question, let me say the other points of view are bullshit. <laughs> That's fair. Yeah, I'm sure she didn't think they were going to go like straight up her skirt, you know? I mean, it's right there. Long. It was detailed. It was graphic. It was like, okay, wow. So she was infuriated at first and felt yeah. really violated. And so she called her lawyer And he was like, well, we can get an injunction. We can do all this stuff. You know, she was like, yeah, yeah, at first. That quote, then I thought some more. What if I were the director? What if I had gotten that shot? What if I had gotten it on purpose or by accident? What if it just existed? That was a lot to think about. I knew what film I was doing. For heaven's sakes, I fought for that part. And all that time. Only this director had stood up for me. I had to find some way to become objective. It wasn't that I vowed to be this character from now on, but I would be less weak on the outside, less available to be eaten alive. You see, I was still making decisions based on the experiences and scars of an eight-year-old. And those deep cuts and broken bonds of security that I had not yet actively learned to replace I was still faking it. I made it. I was sort of good at it. But for the first time, I was asking to learn how to know something new. I was asking for the world to change. I was asking for permission to say why. Her ability to see all sides of things is very admirable Mm -hmm. and makes me love her even more because she also acknowledged that This movie was really inspirational for a lot of women and that she didn't regret it. She also said that regrets were like farts, (laughs) which I was like, I feel like, yeah, actually, (laughs) I don't usually say that word out loud, but (laughs) (laughs) accurate. (laughs) Wow, I was expecting something a little more poetic after everything else said, but (laughs) there you go. (laughs) They stink and you have to just let them go. Bingo. (laughs) 
That's hilarious. (laughs) That's right up there with my favorite uh, Alexis Carrington Colby quote, regrets are for dinner parties. (laughs) (laughs) I like that better. (laughs) (laughs) I love that one so much. I embroidered it. And it's hanging on my wall. (laughs) (laughs) Like the, I was reading the thing that you sent me, but I didn't get to read all of it, but I just saw the beginning where she was talking about that she was having trouble getting cast because people thought she was like too sweet and innocent. And like you said, people said she was unfuckable, which is like (laughs) Sharon Stone (laughs) in basic instinct being labeled as unfuckable. So no one would cast her. I can't even imagine. <laughs> but then I was thinking of the Magnum PI episode that we watched where she played the twins and the one twin was like super sweet and innocent. And then the other twin was like a sexy vixen. So I guess she channeled that sexy vixen twin somewhat into Catherine. I feel like Catherine's character is a natural extension of the vixen twin of Magnum PI episode. I agree. That we watched. What was it called? Reflections of the mind or something? <laughs> yeah. It was something really deep sounding. And then it made me think of that Echoes of My Mind song from Urban Cowboy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know. So that's amazing. So what did she say? Did she like work with an acting coach or something to bring out her sexiness? Well, you know, she mentioned that she worked with this acting coach and she was like, he kind of, he told her quote unquote, like that she had graduated her like acting school. And she was like, no, now I have to go. This is why I love her. Now I have to go back and play all of the male parts. Like I have to play all the men characters. And I, and I was like, that makes sense because she totally can move like a boy. And she, like this movie, she's so, she's the most masculine person in this movie (laughs) by far. (laughs) I mean, she's throwing it around. Then after that, she kind of, took a break almost it's like she kind of just receded for a while didn't she i feel like she was everywhere and then i just didn't really see her very much yeah i mean well if you think about it she really broke in when she was already 34 like she was 34 in this Mm -hmm. and this was still back in the 90s when like she only had six more years she only had like six more months (laughs) Yeah, she's like not not ripe enough for these like sixty year old creeps that rule Hollywood or whatever. Watching it again, I was still like amazed by it and still drawn in. Still thinking that she was so great. I think it was her though. But then I I, I feel like the the first time I saw this, I thought she did the whole thing. Every time I've seen it, I've come to the conclu- conclusion that she's just. Yeah. The ultimate mastermind Mm -hmm. of all serial killers. Yeah. I think you're right. Okay. That's solved. Yeah. Mystery solved. Mystery solved. 
Um, I didn't pick a favorite quote. I think my favorite quote would be when Gus says, the only people who sleep with me are all the old blue hairs. And then the woman <laughs> says, don't knock it till you try it. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah. Um, oh, do I have a question? Have you ever been single white female? Ooh. Yeah, that's a good one. Like, has somebody tried to copy you to such a level that you felt like they were trying to, like, take over your life Mm -hmm. so that you didn't exist anymore? Yes. Identity theft in real time, in person. Yeah. Um, if that's ever happened to you, tell us about it at coverizepodcast at gmail.com or if you've ever been the one that did it. Ooh, yeah. How did it go? Yeah. We're not going to make fun of you. No, especially like if you're in college and you find someone that's like, if you're in college with Catherine, you would of course become obsessed with her. Sure. Yeah. Has it ever happened to you, Holly? I feel like it's probably happened to you. That I've been single white female? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think you should do a mini about that. Imitation is not the highest form of flattery. Mm. It hasn't been so extreme where they like dyed their hair and cut it like mine. Tried to kill me. <laughs> I mean, I've never been almost murdered by anyone who did that, but. That's good. I mean, I definitely felt invaded and like obvious signs that they were trying to be like me in this really weird, creepy way. And it's especially creepy when you're not a psychopath. So you (laughs) you actually feel like insecure. So there's also like I felt really insecure most of my life and so I would be like this is so weird that you're doing this to me like you're imitating me and you're trying to like take something from me that isn't yours because you have your own thing you just don't know it yet but the thing is like I'm not confident (laughs) Mm-hmm. So I don't see why you would want to do that to me. So there is a level of like just being totally baffled by it and also very angry. <laughs> anyway, mm-hmm. that's a tale for another day. And I've actually single white female someone. So I'll tell you about that on a mini episode. Oh, my God. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I don't think I have. Maybe I should do some reflection and see. (laughs) Yeah, if you're joking about it. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, oh, shit. (laughs) I have some apology letters to write. (laughs) (laughs) You're like writing in to cover your eyes. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No, I don't think I have. I really don't. Maybe if I did, it would have been like grade school or something. That doesn't count. No, that doesn't, that's not, yeah. I mean, when I say single white female, ultimately it results in them 
dressing like you, talking like you, wanting to dominate all of your time, mm-hmm. and then behind your back trying to date your boyfriend. <laughs> That's my definition of single white female. Oh, yeah. That's intense. Maybe I'll watch that movie again. <laughs> but the boyfriend's not the point. Mm-hmm. No, it's not the boyfriend. It could be anyone. Getting the boyfriend is an indicator. It's proof of, oh, I'm just as good as this person that I'm imitating in every way and who I want to be like best friends with. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It's just wanting everything that another person has. And it's all rooted in like not knowing who you are and like lacking identity, which is part of the reason that happens, I think, teenagers and early adulthood. Yeah. Because that is a time of identity fluidity mm-hmm. for a lot of people. Um, so I can see how it would be easy to be like, well, this person's cool if I'm just or this person's whatever I want to be or whatever I like I'm projecting onto them. It's not even what they actually are. It's what like I'm triggering them to be. I'm I'm triggering something in them that they feel like they're lacking. And it's like mm-hmm. they think if they cling and just like model your behavior then it'll like fix their problems Mm -hmm. and that's not true because everybody should be themselves and that's the that's what's so interesting about it because it's like when that happens the it seems like the thing that they're really attracted to is that that person that they are trying to imitate is just expressing themselves authentically Mm-hmm. And you can't copy that or imitate it. It's the antithesis of imitation. Right. Ooh. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't, it, it just creates chaos because you get farther and farther away from yourself and make worse decisions because you're not being yourself. Mm-hmm. And the person that you're trying to be doesn't exist. Like the, the times that it happened to me, I'm like, what you're reflecting back to me the, as an imitation isn't like who I really am either. Because mm-hmm. I'm giving you a presentation because <laughs> you're not with me 24 hours a day. Or are they? Oh no. <laughs> they actually were. <laughs> Gosh, I have okay. always felt haunted. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, I think we've talked about everything. You think so? I think so. Yeah. I feel I good. So. Feel good about it, Sarah. Good. I feel real good. <laughs> I feel like I just did a bunch of coke and had <laughs> Double Jack Daniels and hung out with Nick. <laughs> I feel that good. <laughs> Take that out. <laughs> yeah, so we've talked about everything. We talked about the question. It was a good movie. I liked it. You liked it. I enjoyed watching it again. Mm-hmm. And 
Um, yeah, I guess that's it. Thanks for listening to Cover Your Eyes podcast. What else, Holly? Mm. That sounds good. All right. Bye. Bye.